I'm on top of a hill and I've come up here to introduce the podcast. The podcast is called A Parrot Squawking, which won't make much sense until I've spoken just for a tiny little bit longer and then the penny shall drop, I had a guess. Uh, but it's not just about the fact that I'm a parrot squawking in that sense. It's also about the a sneaking suspicion I've got based on what I've heard about a certain concept called social construction, which you might know a lot more about than I do, and about which you, you know, something it might be something you've known about longer than I have. Uh, but the point is, the title, A Parrot Squawking, is also about the strong likelihood, I suspect, that when I speak, I'm parroting things that other people have said. And when I'm having what I think is an original idea, the likelihood that it isn't an original idea, it's just me parroting some other idea that some other people have had, and which has been shoveled into my head since birth by my parents and by every song I've ever heard and, you know, every children's show I've ever watched when I was a child and every movie I've watched since then, which has not been many because I know my wife and I were discussing the other day and we've seen no more than, excluding children's videos, some of which I really like, you know, Madagascar and all that. We haven't seen any movies. Oh, we've seen, we, we calculated about five movies in 12 years. Um, but um, what, this, uh, what this podcast is about is a little bit about achieving a certain kind of zen, believe it or not. Um, it's a little personal kind of zen that I've been, you know, just practicing slowly over the years. Um, and it's a zen that has me opting out of public discourse, for example definitely has me opting out of things like social media haven't touched social media for at least two and a half years and even when I did jump onto social media more than two and a half years ago uh, it was just to see what the hell it was all about because you have to know what things are and I got on there on false names and all that sort of stuff you know and false characters and I gave myself false values and false attitudes and false everything, you know, and just, well, I used it as a comedy thing more than anything, um, but then, you know, jumped off it as soon as, as soon as I'd um, got its measure, as soon as I'd worked out what the hell it was all about. Um, all right, so the, this podcast intends to achieve two kinds of zen, or a, a sort of zen, um, and that zen is... The sort of Zen where I'm really not trying to um, debate anything. I'm really not trying to persuade anything, anyone of anything. Uh, I'm just here for a chat, you know. And you know, a lot of people get into that. I'm, I'm really not trying to challenge anybody. I'm not trying to turn anyone's mind. I'm just here for a chat, and I'll, it's a little bit about um, me just having a chat about what I think's been shoveled into my head all my life, and. Um, and I'll just vocalise that, you know. But look, 
that will do on that because I could go on about what that is and you will find that I do go on um, I go on so much and you will find this that you know, I predict that I'll have an audience of zero but uh, the, that's part of my Zen too to be quite relaxed about that I, I really don't want an audience to want an audience you know this is a little bit Buddhist isn't it um, if you're a podcaster who's saying that you've got a certain amount of Zen that you're trying to achieve and you are wanting listeners and trying to market for listeners then you're defeating yourself and I'm looking for a little bit of that Zen to that is not really looking for listeners even and I think I've gone some way towards that by naming the podcast a parrot squawking because I thought about that after I'd already thought of the title that is but I've thought about that since over the last sort of couple of hours since I started this podcast uh, that which you're about to hear I recorded after this which I'm speaking right now okay so I've come back in time and inserted this little introduction at the start after I've done the podcast now this is Zen you kind of um you kind of try you know you kind of put yourself into a bit of a circular reference you know uh, because um, if you want to uh, you know if you want to have a certain kind of Zen um, you've got to try and uh, not want things and that takes a real sort of mind shift you know and I've been working on that mind shift myself you know um, two and a half years ago um, my goddaughter and I were chatting over a coffee and we were talking about how one might give up things such as sugar you know wine alcohol social media if you like um, all sorts of things you know and I said well there's two ways of, you know and this is this is my idea at the time and it's not an original idea because I'm going to argue I'm in amazingly socially constructed geniuses have come up with all the ideas that have been shoveled into my head and I'm not one of those geniuses I'm just a parrot squawking um, and parroting those things um, but um, we chatted about it and I said I think it's a little bit about not so much resisting sugar and alcohol and resisting the urge to get onto social media and resisting the urge you know to do a lot of things really um, that is only that only goes halfway because you're still wanting those things and you know I'm sure I got this from Buddhist ideas and my goddaughter actually knows a lot more about Indian philosophy than I do she gets into yoga and things so she knows a lot more than me about all that stuff but you know I, I work on the broad brush sort of ideas um, and they're enough for me normally I don't get into the detail too much um, you know, uh, so uh, I said, I think it's what you say, you know, goddaughter, I probably won't name her, her name will probably slip out and so will mine eventually, um, but um, I said, you've got to actually shift your mind so that you don't even want those things, because then 
after you have altered your mindset into a, um, you know, uh, shifted your mind, I don't know how to even put that, but altered your brain chemistry such that you don't even like sugar or alcohol or all those other things, if you do successfully have that power over your own mind, then you don't have to show any self-control because you've altered your mind into a state where you don't even want those things. You know, this is nowhere near an original idea. I'm sure the billion dollar uh, weight loss industry, for example, is all over this and tells, and, 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 you know, there must be lots of podcasts on this. You know, I have no idea. I don't listen to those sorts of podcasts. I only listen to podcasts on history and philosophy, really. You know, maybe a bit of politics. I don't have any interest in all those things. No interest in um, the science of weight loss, all that sort of stuff, you know. No interest in nutrition even. I've got no interest. really haven't. I don't even know about nutrition. Um, anyway, I said you, if, you shift, if you did shift your mindset such that you didn't like, so that you convinced yourself, you know, brainwash style. By the way, um, ah, the... Um, like uh, Big Brother, you know, uh, 1984. If you sh convinced yourself you didn't like alcohol, then you, you know, people, and then you then didn't drink alcohol for the next 10 years or for the rest of your life, people say, man, well, you've got a lot of self-control, but you would kind of say, no, I actually haven't. I don't like alcohol, so I don't have to show any self-control. Um, and I said, the same goes with sugar, and all that sort of thing, and then right on the spot, um, and this was a start, you know this was sort of way into a certain dialectic that she and I had commenced, and which we continue on daily this to this day. We've been speaking daily. She's wonderful at this. I don't know if I mentioned that. Um, uh, she's my dialectic partner, you know, and um, and I said. I reckon I can do it. I think if I click my fingers with a minimum of fuss, no grand uh, no grand resolution as such, you know, no determination whatsoever, no determination to succeed, no willpower, none of that stuff. I said, can I, with nothing more than swagger, just click my fingers and give up, let's say, five things. And I, I absolutely said five things, you know. And she, you know, she said, go for it. <laughs> Something like that. So I said, all right, I'm going to do it right now. I'll name five things, okay. And I clicked my finger. I love, you know, I used to love wine. You know, for example, red wine, I had some every day. Um, all right. And so I clicked my fingers. And click. And I said, right now, I don't like alcohol. I don't like wine. I don't like any kind of alcohol. I don't like sugar. And I, then I just chose three other things. I don't like white rice, is one of the things I said. Um, I don't like white potatoes. Um, and I don't like anything made with white flour. They're the five I picked. And then on a whim, I had already stopped using social media where I had some comedy uh, aliases running on social media but I had already given that up anyway and I said also for the rest of my life I'm never going to use social media again 
Um, I think she was a little bit sceptical, but um, she's very accommodating to, you know, she knows how I tick. And, um, and I said, all right, that's that, done. You know, no big deal. Didn't go and tell anybody that I was doing it. Um, just stopped eating that stuff, you know, um, and drinking that stuff. And, and, you know, that's two and a half years ago and I've, just, I've had, I've shown, you know, I've had no willpower, shown no determination and I haven't had any of those things since and I will not have any of those things for the rest of my life because I decided, um, you know, these are tiny little silly things, you know, uh, and my children know the click the finger thing now. My daughter clicked her finger when I told her about it eventually. Um, she's 11, you know, she's fantastic. She's doing this. She clicked her fingers and said, I'll never have McDonald's again. And that was about a year ago. And she hasn't, you know, even when she goes through the drive through when other kids are having McDonald's, she just says nothing, please. And she even says nothing to water. She won't have water. She said, no, no, I clicked my fingers. I don't have water. You know, I don't have anything from McDonald's. You know, so she has altered her mind, you know. But she's not yearning for that chocolate sundae. Uh, she just, I don't even eat, I don't eat McDonald's, so it's not even something to debate, you know. So she's got that swagger as well. I call it swagger. You know, I call it zen swagger. <laughs> okay, now, once you start playing those games with your mind, it moves into other areas, you know. And... Um, and I've been, uh, I've been playing with that whole idea of Zen swagger in what I call an ongoing dialectic with my goddaughter, who has absolutely come to the party on that. Um, and I get a hell of a lot from talking to her. She's got insights that I haven't got, you know. Um, she has a whole level of um, being that I haven't got. She has passion and all this sort of thing, you know, I'm much more sort of, uh, I'm not a very deep person, you know. Um, I just like figuring things out logically and all that sort of stuff. I don't do any meditating, I don't do anything. I've got no spirit, you know, no sense of spirituality as such, you know. She's got a really strong sense of spirituality. I have no spirituality, you know. Don't, I couldn't care less, you know, whether there's, there's a God or you know, reincarnation or a Brahman and all these things. I don't get into any of that sort of thing. I don't chant Om. I don't chant anything. I just chat. Other people chant and I chat, you know. Uh, so I don't get myself into meditative states, all these sorts of things. I don't meditate ever. I don't pray ever. I don't do any of that, you know. But she has a whole thing going on that side of things. And, you know, we're complementary on that front. Now, my goddaughter and I have a dialectic. Um, this is what I call my monolectic, this uh, podcast, and I do go on. It's um, a podcast carried out with Zen Swagger. I just made that term up just then, actually. I've used the word Swagger before, and I've used the word Zen before, but I just put them together, and this podcast is about having a little bit of calm Zen Swagger, and bringing that you know, taking those ideas of being able to click your fingers and give up sugar and alcohol and all those other things and applying that to, you know, being in that state of mind um, before you start talking about much more tricky things like politics and 
philosophy and religion and all that sort of thing, you know. Um, so that is the kind of Zen swagger that this podcast is all about. Uh, and as you could probably guess, it's not here to uh, inform you of anything. It's not here to convince you of anything. It's not here to inspire you. It's not here to even look for listeners. I don't want to look for listeners because then I will spoil my own Zen. That's a little bit like having a teaspoon of sugar. You know, giving up sugar, like I did two and a half years ago, but then deciding to have one teaspoon per year, you know, or one teaspoon every two and a half years. Now, if I make a podcast here, you know, and I could be second guessing myself even by making a podcast, but just put that aside. I don't like to overthink things, you know, and don't try and cross examine me because don't worry about it. Um, just relax. <laughs> That theme music cuts in when perhaps I get interrupted or for some other reason, God knows. Uh, But uh, what I was about to say then was, uh, let me see, uh, this podcast, yes, I wanted to have some Zen swagger um, and to the extent that I'm achieving that, Calling it a parrot squawking goes some way towards that. How does that sound? Let's get on with the show. I chose an image for the podcast too. If you actually looked at the thing as you came into this podcast... And the image I chose was a cockatoo. I don't even know if a cockatoo is a parrot or if a parrot is a cockatoo. I've got a sister-in-law who's a birdie. She would know. But I didn't want to call the podcast a cockatoo squawking because that just doesn't sound right. So I called it a parrot squawking. But I chose the image because I'm an Australian and that's an Australian bird, parrot or cockatoo and also it's red and black and I bury for Essendon. Welcome to the new podcast. This is the second podcast I've started. I recently started another one and that one was called On the Histories of Ethiopia. I recommend don't bother looking for it. I I recommend don't bother looking for this one. Although it might be a little bit too late if you're listening to this. All right, a parrot squawking. That's what I wanted to call this episode, this podcast. It took me about five minutes to think of that one. And where did I get that from? Well, it's, it's going to be about, it's going to be what this podcast is about, a parrot squawking. I'm the parrot, apparently. Uh, but I got that title from an idea that was put into my head and the idea that was put into my head was put there by some philosopher from a long time ago maybe a hundred years ago and the idea that was put into my head was that I am get ready for it 
socially constructed. Okay, what does that mean? Well, it means, well, this is how the theory goes anyway, that even when I think I'm having an original idea, I might not be. Someone else, or more likely a lot of other people, might have put that idea in my head. It also um, has something to do with the idea that if I think something is right or wrong, I only think that thing is right or wrong because, again, uh, someone put that thought in my head. Someone put that morality in my head. Now, I'm not standing by any of this 100% down the line because um, I'm sure there are some things that even if people hadn't put those things in my head, I might still think they were right or wrong. Because surely, obviously, if someone grabbed a young girl, for example, and threw her into an active volcano, well, obviously, I would think that's a bad thing. Aha, uh -huh, but then again, maybe not. Because, apparently, a lot of people my age and every age in times gone by thought that was a very, very good thing to do. So, all right, I'll stick to my guns. Maybe still, even given that example, I may be socially constructed in thinking that picking up a young girl and throwing her into a volcano is a wrong thing to do. If, in fact, in another time and place, people like me, and maybe people like you, though I can't speak for you, I'm only speaking for myself here, people like me thought that was a right thing to do. All right, so this is all pretty obvious stuff. I'm sure a lot of people have heard of this sort of thing, you know, perspectives type thing. But this social construction thing, the theory of it, seems to go pretty deep, apparently. And I haven't got to the bottom of it myself yet. I've only got to that point where I think it's worth thinking about and, and pondering and wondering whether, yes, there's something to it. Now, this social construction idea, which would have it, as far as I know, and if I, down the track, you know, get disabused of some of these ideas I'm having about what some of these things are about, um, I'll just say it and I'll say, well, you know, back in episode one, I thought, boom, 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 but now I think boom, 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 you know. Um, but um, this so social construction thing, as far as I can <clears throat> ascertain, uh, belongs or came out of, belongs to or came out of a period called modernist philosophy. Modernism, which I think is around about 
100 years ago, modernism. Now, in music and art, now I'm terrible at music. You know, I tried so hard to be a good musician, but I never got good at it. Um, and I'm bad at art as well, and I tried that as well. You know, painting, whatever, drawing. Um, but in the act of trying to be good at these things, you know, you pick up a few things about what they're all about. And um, uh, modern art is, I think, from around about 100 and such years ago. So when we talk about modernism, and it would appear this is true of philosophy, music, art, you know, when I say... You know, when I say art, I, I kind of usually mean painting, you know, um, and sculpture and all that sort of thing. And when I think music, I think music. Uh, but everything's art, all those things. Okay, so modernism and philosophy is part of that, you know. Um, and all that roughly belongs to, you know, the late 19th century, as far as I can tell. And uh, going into the 20th century, uh, and that's modernism. And I think... Just before that was romanticism in all sorts of art and thinking. Um, and that grew out of, well, enlightenment. This was all the enlightenment, enlightenment period. Um, and before that, in music at least, was before the romantic era, era was the classical era. So uh, as far as I know... Um, people think that you know Beethoven ushered out the classical period of music and ushered in the romantic period of music um Mozart before Beethoven you know was he reached the pinnacle of the classical period uh didn't necessarily try to create a new type of music a new musical form, but um, uh, but did was the best maybe at, at that previous form, the classical form. But then Beethoven, you know, uh, that constrained him too much. Um, he felt the need to break break on through to the other side, as Jim Morrison would say, and um, it, it, it limited him too much and he needed to find a greater way of expressing himself and, um, you know, started out, you know, he met Mozart and all that sort of thing, but ended up, uh, breaking the shackles, breaking free of the shackles and, and, you know, going into a whole sort of new zone of greater expression, expanding the possibilities of music and all that sort of thing. All right, now coming forward again, because we have to come forward again, because I just started then in an era that I called modernism, with which I was connecting what this episode is about in this podcast. No, just this episode is about which is the idea that we are socially constructed. So we'll get back to that. I've, I've moved back. I've digressed. Um, digressed backwards. Um, so I started off with when is modernism? Modernism is maybe early, early 20th century. Okay. In all sorts of things, you know, pursuits, arts and all that sort of stuff, and music and philosophy. All right. And then I moved back and said um, that before that came a kind of a romantic period to which, uh, you know, belonged 
people like um, Wagner. Now, before I go on, Wagner. Now, you have to hold thoughts when you're listening to me. Not that you're probably listening to me because you might have switched off already. But, um, hold that thought that we're talking about social construction. And whether, I will get to back to this, whether I am a parrot squawking. I wonder if you've joined the dots on that. You probably have. Right. Wagner. I say Wagner. When I was at school, I was doing music, and one of the other kids heard me say Wagner and said Wagner. I said, what? He said, Wagner. You have to say Wagner, you know. I said, I don't say Wagner. I say Wagner. He says, no, it's Wagner. I said, yeah, I know, but I say Wagner, you know, because you know, it's Australian. I'm Australian, um, so I'm not going to walk around saying Wagner. And he said, and I said, how do you say bark, for example? And he says, what, like a dog? And I said, no, bark, like, you know, bark before Beethoven, you know. Bark, Beethoven, Brahms. He says, you say bark. I said, I'm not going to say bark. I said, bark, you know, wolf. I'm just going to call him, you know, Johannes Bark. In fact, I'll call him John Bark if I want to. And he said, no, no, you have to say Bach. I'm not going to, you know, I'd, so basically I was saying, I'm not going to expectorate every time I want to say Bach, you know. So I say Bach and I say Wagner. You know? And, um, but he was insistent. Now, now, don't get me wrong, I am a prat. There is no two ways about that. You'll find that out. Um, but this guy was a bigger prat than me, you know. There's levels of prat. Um... Now, I hope you're holding that thought that we're talking about social construction, okay, Earliest, early 20th century, and we're going to end up talking about squawking like a parrot, because what I'm getting at, what I'm going to get to, is that I think I squawk like a parrot when I talk. We'll get back to that. Okay, so I moved backwards into the Romantic period, which is Wagner, Wagner, and... Um, and then I moved back, just by way of illustrating when modernism was, I moved backwards into uh, classicism, you know, class in classical music terms anyway, music terms. I'm not very good at art, actually, painting and sculpture and all that sort of stuff. But before, in music at least, before the Romantic period was the classical period, Mozart, and before that, Haydn. Haydn, see, I might say Haydn, but I think I say Haydn, so who can tell? All right. And then I got talking about why I say that now this was the digression. Why the hell I say Wagner and not Wagner? And why I say Bach and why I say don't say Bach. 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 Um But then, you know, I say Haydn, I think I do anyway. And I don't say Hayden, so who can tell? Actually that kid, his name was Hayden. Right. Now um now, I want to continue that digression for a minute about Wagner and Bach. Um, we, I vote for Essendon. I mentioned that earlier. I'll probably tie a lot of things about back to the things I like. You know, I've got a few things that I love, you know, that I'm obsessed with. Because I'll find a lot of things exciting. Um, you know, I like Captain Cook. And for a, for a few years now, I've got obsessed with Ethiopia. Um... 
And what else do I like? I like lots of, I like football. I like 1970s cricket. Um, anyway, and I like a lot of other things too. Okay, I like penguins. Yeah. Um, right, here we go. Essendon, we have a player who is poetry. His name's Orazio Fantasia. That's what we all call him, Fantasia. Yeah, he's of Italian stock. And he's got some swagger. He's just wonderful, you know. Um, he's got a... Yeah, you know those players? We, we used to have a player called Ronnie Andrews who'd just bullock his way through packs, you know, just... He, he just... Um, he'd, like, steamroll down the field and just run through people. Orazio Fantasia's not like that. He's like a racehorse, you know, he's amazing. He's, um, anyway, um... Our captain, Dyson Heppel, great guy, um, he came out recently and he was asked just before a game, uh, Orazio Fantasia, is that his real name or is it pronounced differently? <laughs> Dyson Heppel said, well, actually, technically it's Orazio Fantasia. And the commentator who was interviewing Dyson, uh, boundary side, uh, said, ah, Fantasia. You know, and um, all right, I suppose we should be calling him Fantasia. And then all the commentary team upstairs picked up on this and said, all right, we'd better do the right thing. We'll call him Fantasia from now on. It was really strange to listen to, but the whole match, and it was an away game, so I wasn't there. I only get to go to home games um, because my membership's only for home games, and I think most people do. Um, so for the whole game, here we had... Uh, all the commentators saying, and the first goal was kicked by Fantasia. <laughs> there we go, Fantasia. Um, Fantasia. And they said, and Orazio Fantasia, it's the first goal of Fantasia under his new name, blah, 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 and all that sort of stuff. Um, anyway, there was there is a commentator called Brian Taylor, who, uh, who got wind of this. He was He was not working that day, so he was not on deck. Um, but he got wind of this, and he's, he actually, and he said, I'm not calling him Fantasia. He said, I call him Fantasia, it sounds more Australian. Aha, uh-huh. now, this is where, now, I am not on social media, you know. I had a look at social media once, um, years ago, you know, I haven't touched it for two and a half years now. Um. I, I had to find out what social media was all about. Obviously, I knew about it from talking to everybody. So I jumped onto social media and I used a fake name and a fake persona and all that sort of thing. So why would she use your real name? Um, and uh, and just spoke a whole lot of rubbish, you know. I basically squawked like a parrot on there and spoke said, you know, spoke the most rubbish I could. Never, I didn't do any socialising. I just, you know, just took it for a riot. And, um, but apparently, and now I know all about social media. Don't worry about that. And and whilst I was on there, I learned a lot too um, about the way things are on social media. So I'm, I'm, I'm not an ignoramus when it comes to the way social media operates. And there's a social media thing, you know what I mean? They're called a thing. Everything's a thing. Um, and I think there's a 
post-social media-ism going on at the moment where, you know, especially young people are probably getting past all that, you know, that thing, whatever that thing is that social media is. Because I, I know people used to say lol, and I'm one of those people thought that was lots of love, you know. Um, but it's laugh out loud. And, you know, you learn these things as you go along. Now, um, everyone was saying lol for a long time, you know. But I think there's a post social mediaism, a little bit like postmodernism, you know, um, in which people don't say lol anymore. And I think there's a post social mediaism too, in as much as I think young people were on Facebook a lot uh, in the early days, but then all the old people got onto Facebook as well. So all the young people jumped off Facebook and went on to other things. Now, I only tried Facebook. I never went on the other ones called Twitter. I never get on to, I never got onto Insta. Insta, you know, Twitter, Insta. I never got onto those things. Uh, but apparently there is a post in social mediaism uh, that has come about where young people jumped off Facebook because all the old people got on Facebook, which must have been absolutely galling. Uh, you know, I was a young person once and I can understand that completely. Um, and all the young people went across to Insta or something, you know what I mean? Or something else, God knows what. Um, so these are the, you know, post-social media-isms. Um, but um, on Facebook, yeah, they used to say lol and all that sort of stuff. Okay, so social media. Do you know what? I've completely forgotten what I was talking about. Uh, but I'm sure it'll come back to me in a minute. Anyway, uh, oh yes, I do remember. I spoke about Brian Taylor, who is a commentator. Uh, are you holding that thought about social construction still? I doubt it. All right. Brian Taylor said, and this is what this whole podcast is going to be about, actually, just me having a ramble, you know. It's not about anything specific. I'll get to what this post... Well, I'll get to what this podcast is about in good time. Right. Brian Taylor refused to say fantasia. He just said, no, sounds stupid, not doing it. Oh, my goodness, I thought to myself. That's very much like uh, the way that I refused with my sort of friend Hayden... Back at school. Hang on. Oh, I don't want. I don't want phone calls just at the moment. Just a second. Just give me a sec. Have to talk to you later. Okay. I'll give. I'll ring you back in about ten. Okay. Bye. Um. Now. Um. So, Brian Taylor. Uh. Yes. And I said to myself. Oh, Brian Taylor. He's a bit like me, I suppose, you know, won't say Wagner, you know. He won't say fant Fantasia, you know, he'll say Fantasia. Well, apparently social media lit up, you know, got outraged, got outraged. Um, and, and I saw something, I do see normal news, you know. Um, I've even switched off um, most of my news, you know, that sort of pops up automatically on my computer because I'm, I feel like I'm getting bombarded i want to um i don't want to be socially constructed by all this stuff you know uh, i don't want to be reconstructed by modern online systems you know i want to keep my head pretty clean you know because i'm scared of social construction i'm scared of social reconstruction i would be scared of social construction except it's too late all right now brian taylor um everyone started attacking him you know, and the comment I saw on normal media, which often comprises screenshots of social media, 
brought into normal media, so I end up seeing a few things from social media anyway, even though I'm not on social media, said, have we come to this where we have sunk so low that we would even not call someone, refer to someone by their preferred name? You know, Brian Taylor, you're a disgrace, you know? I don't think they use that, you are a disgrace. I think that's more an Aussieism, you know, from my time. You're a disgrace, you know what I mean? That's one of the things that he said. Um, and I said, oh my goodness, I'm a disgrace too, because I won't say Wagner. Oh my God. You know, all the, the Nazis, you know, are going to come after me, because <laughs> I should be saying Wagner, you know, and listening to Wagner, you know, operas for three days straight and saying Heil Hitler, whatever... <laughs> That's not very fair on Wagner. He wasn't a Nazi. Well, he's an anti-Semite, but yeah. All right then. So, yeah. So, Fantasia, huh? Fantasia. Um, but then I can't help giving you football anecdotes because, you know, after a few days of heat, you know, heat in in the media world and in the social media world and, you know, of the debate, you know, these things... They, they they explode, you know, and everyone starts talking about them. And uh, Brian Taylor was your typical, you know, Neanderthal Aussie, like I am, um, who wouldn't say fantasia, you know, you know, wear the ribbon, you know. <laughs> that was a Seinfeld episode once, actually. Um, wear the ribbon, you know, say fantasia, you know, you've got to say what you're told to say and all that sort of stuff. Brian Taylor's saying, get stuffed, you know, and... Um, People say, hey, you're not allowed to say get stuffed, you know, all that sort of thing. Um, and then someone starts, and this is where, this this little digression is about how much I love, you know, Orazio Fantasia, Orazio Fantasia. This is why I like the guy. Um, a few days after this, after everything had been boiling, um, another commentator stopped Orazio at the airport. And not Dyson Heppel this time. Remember, that was Dyson Heppel, the captain of Essendon, who was stopped last time, and said to Orazio, if someone were to stop you at an airport, which they just had, uh, and asked you what your name was, what would you say? And he said, and Orazio said, well, Orazio Fantasia. Oh, absolutely hilarious, you know. And the thing that occurred to me was that guy can kick a goal from anywhere. Absolutely brilliant. Loved it. Um, and I think we are now back to calling him Orazio Fantasia. And I'm still calling Richard Wagner Richard Wagner. And I'm still calling Johannes Bach John Bach. No, I'm not. I call him Johannes Bach. Okay. Um, so, all that was a major digression. Get used to that stuff. You'll probably hate it. So you're probably not even listening to this podcast anymore. Okay. Yeah. But um, all that was triggered by me just saying the word Wagner. Wagner. Just like that. How about that, eh? All right. Let's move forward and get back to... Oh, as far as what this podcast is going to be about, nothing specifically. It's going to be a... Uh, a parrot squawking, basically. I'm just going to say whatever comes to my head. First thing that comes to my head, you know, 
every episode, I'll just chat about whatever I'm chatting about. Now, you might think that's um, totally too unstructured and extremely post-postmodernist, you know. Um, you might call that, you know, you, you might think that, you know, I'm a stream of consciousness guy from the 1960s, you know. What was he then again? I remember afterwards. Um, now, okay, so moving forward from the classical period of music, we had Mozart, because I want to get back to modernism and social construction, you know. And in the time of Mozart, what's that, the 1700s, uh, late 1700s, um, we also had philosophy at that time, late 1700s. I'll probably get this wrong, but... Um, 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 now, after Descartes, aha, Descartes, I say Descartes, he would have been earlier than that. And then David Hume, I think it was, um, in about this time. Okay, that's coming back to me now. And then after that, Immanuel Kant. Okay, so you have all these periods, you know. Um, so in philosophy, art, science, you know, thinking, all those sorts of things, um, you have these eras, you know, and this whole era of the late 1700s would be the Enlightenment, which all gets back to where we're getting to with this, this business of uh, parrot squawking and it's suddenly, the penny suddenly dropping that we're probably socially constructed. Okay, so 1700s, um, Enlightenment era, you know, classical period of music, um, I don't want to go back further, you know, I'll be talking Baroque. Ah, Baroque. <laughs> right, now, so classical period, enlightenment, philosophy, going through the roof at this point in time, apparently. Um, Descartes, as I like to say. Um, David Hume, otherwise pronounced as David Hume. I hope I got, I got his name right. And, um, you know, Descartes... Descartes, uh, I think, therefore I am. Oh my goodness, my soul exists. You know, that was all that sort of stuff. Um, but nothing else, you know, everything else might not. Oh my goodness, soul is reality. You know, my, my, my essence is reality, but my body might not be. You know, this is what Descartes sort of thinking, Descartes. And, um, and then David Hume comes along. Oh my God, I hope I got his name right. And says, aha, aha, yes, but... If you are saying that, you listen to now. Listen, you, you Italian. <laughs> He's Scottish, David Hume. Um, if you say you think, therefore you are, but nothing else might be, you know, that the only thing that might be reality is your essence and that all other things in the universe might not exist. This is my understanding of what David Hume was kind of saying. Um, well... Let me think about this, he said. You are having a thought, are you? All right, so you know that you exist, right? And he, this is David Hume sort of thinking, as far as I understand it. You know you, you know your essence exists. You know, you know you're a thinking thing, you know? Uh, so you, even if a robot, sorry, even if some sort of God is putting the thoughts in your head, you know, is making you think those things, you are still thinking them. So therefore you exist on that level, you know. Um, so you're not an illusion on that level. This is what Descartes was arguing, you know. 
Um, you think, therefore, you are. All right, what you're saying there is, all right, you're allowing for the possibility that a um, some sort of evil demon, I think they called it, but, you know, call it God if you want, you know, um, something in another sort of place and time, um, in another dimension, is playing video games and you are in the video game, you know, and this person who is playing the video game, you are one of his, um, 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 I don't know what they call them in video games, uh, my kids play games sometimes on the computer, but you are a, um, a character, um, and this person playing the video games is actually planting, you know, using, using an app, is planting thoughts in your head, and now you're having those thoughts, right, Descartes, okay, so you're having those thoughts, in your world, no, in your illusory world, and um, and you are saying to yourself, okay, even if something else, an evil demon or a kid playing a video game or something, is putting that thought into my head, nevertheless, I'm having that thought. So, to at that level at least, I exist. I exist as a thinking thing in that context, okay? I exist. So like, you know... Just like if I were in real, you know, in my real life, if I, if I was playing a video game, um, you know, my character that I'm inventing does exist as a character in the game, you know what I mean? All right then. And then David Hume, he came along and said, aha, all right, but if you are having a thought, that thought takes up time. And that's what David Hume was saying. Now, I am not as smart as David Hume, but what I think he was getting at with that was time is one of the um, non-supernatural properties of the universe, just like space is. Um, okay, now this starts to get around, get to the edges of you know, because I'm not a genius, but there is space and time are linked. In fact, there's a concept called space-time, or one word, that, you know, certain geniuses came up with. Um, what's his name in the wheelchair? I read a book by him once, and he was talking, you know, it was all about space-time, I really liked it. Um, so, David Hume said... If you are having a thought, even in your sort of I think therefore I am essence type of way of thinking, that thought is occupying time, which brings time into play. And time really can't exist without space, I think he was arguing. But you'd have to ring up Einstein or the guy in the wheelchair, and I can't believe I've forgotten his name. He only died recently, and already I'm starting to forget his name. My goodness, you know. And who are we going to still remember in a thousand years? Um, so, um, and therefore that brings space back into play. Hey, Descartes, said Hume, because he was Scottish, he wasn't Italian, you know. Um, you've got a problem. I think you just brought the universe back. Aha. Now, you go and 
get onto your little Wikipedia and figure out what they really meant by all this to get the detail. But all I'm trying to do is kind of, you know, get you excited about the general gist of these things and you can go and work them out yourself properly. I never will because I'm not interested enough. Right, now, David Hume. And then after that came Immanuel Kant, you know. And these, this was kind of, let's call it classical thinking, although I know classical thinking goes all the way back to Socrates and all that sort of stuff, and Plato and Aristotle. Plato's one of my favorite. Well, Plato, I think, is my favorite. I'll get to him another day. You know, I love the world of forms, you know. I like thinking about it. I know it got debunked and all that sort of stuff, apparently, um, but I still like it, you know. Aristotle, I think, you know, he said, um, okay, that's great, Plato, yeah, world of forms, yeah, but it's got no, you know, so what? <laughs> And they kind of wrecked that. Um, all right. So moving forward again, um, we move forward from the classical period, in the music sense, um, and come forward to the romantic sense. And you know, you get these people like Descartes. He makes a, he comes up with an idea that no one in history's ever come up with before. That kind of proves that the essence. Has exist, does exist, you know, that you can know that your soul exists. You know, he was a bit of a Christian, I believe. Um, and he, you know, he probably wanted to prove that the soul exists, and he rather did, you know. And he said, the soul exists, you know, Eureka, you know, Archimedes style. Um, Eureka, um, I just discovered the soul exists. And everyone around him went, and clap, 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 you know, good, good on you, old chap, you know, all that sort of stuff. Now, um, and, you know, that stood the test of time, you know, that Descartes had crossed a line, you know, and had a thought that no one else had ever thought before, you know, and everyone was wrapped and, you know, and it did stand the test of time for maybe a little while, maybe 80 years, maybe 100 years until David Hume came along and said, ah, I just tricked you, you know, um, yeah, it stood the test of time till now because, you know, I'm one of the Scottish philosophers and we're really smart, you know, the Irish philosophers, no such thing. Um, and, um, and he said, um, you know, yeah, the act of thinking, you brought time back into play, which brings space back into play. You just made everything else exist. Uh -huh. You know, checkmate, you know. And then as far as I understand, and this is the way humans go, you know, they start doing these thought experiments and they think things through and, you know, we we go forward and forward and forward or backwards and backwards and backwards, whichever way you want to have it. Now, then apparently, Emmanuel, you know, David Hume came up with all these ideas in the, you know, classical period, well, in the classical mu period in the musical sense. I don't know what it was called in the philosophical sense. Um, and then um, what happened was everyone said, oh, David Hume, that's very clever, you know. Not old chap. They wouldn't have said old chap because I was Scottish, you know. So, oh, you know. Oh, why, that's uh, fantastic, you know. Yeah, Scottish accent like Sean Connery or something. And, um, and the world changed and David Hume, you know, because Descartes was, you know, moving right in that direction of the soul is reality and everything around you is not reality, you know. The, you know, um, space, time, matter, you know, you could, there was no way to prove that even existed. It might all be an illusion, you know what I mean? And then, you know, and, 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 and it all seemed to be all said and done, didn't it? Um, so 
Descartes, you know, he killed the universe, you know, and the Catholics rejoiced because the soul exists, you know, and the universe doesn't. The universe is just an illusion, and the only thing real is your essence, your soul, and everything, you know, and it's beautiful, you know. Um, Kyrie eleison and all that sort of stuff, you know what I mean? And then, um, after that, David Hume comes along, and David Hume is in the time of, you know, Isaac Newton and all this, you know, Copernicus, you know. He's come on the back of all that sort of stuff, you know, um, in which uh, some shocking discoveries have been made, um, especially, you know, we're talking Galileo as well, but we're talking especially, um, you know, Copernicus sort of working out that, oh, my goodness, humans aren't at the centre of the universe, which absolutely just did everybody's head in um, because the whole idea of God was premised on the idea that humans were at the centre of the universe and then Copernicus kind of noticed that we weren't and he thought I think the sun is not going around us. I think we're going around the sun. Uh-oh, you know. And I don't think it's easy for us in our modern social construction to get our heads around what this meant back then. It just wrecked everything. Wrecked everything. And then Galileo came along and actually saw some moons going around. Jupiter, you know, because he had to tell us, you know, technology came along and he had a telescope and he said, oh my goodness, Copernicus was right. Copernicus did it in a sort of, you know, logical, mathematical way, kind of hypothesized that um, the earth was going around the sun, but there was no physical proof of that, you know, as far as I know, but I mean... He just looked at the scale models of the universe from a perspective of the Earth being in the centre, and they were so complex, you know. Um, you know, the the, um, the transit, you know, the way all the planets moved around the Earth, it was absolutely ridiculous, you know. Totally complex models they had to make to make that work, you know. But then... You know, he put, he put the sun at the centre of the earth and he said, oh my goodness, they're all rotating in a nice, neat way. All the planets, that is, are rotating in a nice, neat way around the sun. And it is so elegant and so simple that that just has to be it, you know. And then um, Galileo came along and actually saw with his own eyes, um, you know, Descartes would say that's an illusion, but, um, you know, he saw with his own eyes um, moons going around Jupiter, which was not, just simply not possible under the old system, because, you know, the moon, those moons would have had to be smashing through um, the sort of the ceiling of the universe upon which all the stars sat and all that sort of stuff, you know the glass ceiling and it would have smashed it all so um on the back of all that you know because before that the soul was king 
the soul was real, arguably by Descartes, you know, Descartes. The soul was real, but this whole world could be an illusion. Um, and then, you know, along comes Copernicus, you know, the age of science and reason, they call it. Anyway, the point is, David Hume is operating in that world, and two things happen. Number one, you know, these, th you know, all these great, huge, big scientific um, breakthroughs happen, like Copernicus and Galileo, but then also Isaac Newton, you know, coming up with, you know, certain laws of nature, um, uh, things that seem to happen every single time, you know, like, you know, every time an apple falls off a tree, it falls down <laughs> towards the earth, um, according to a formula, you know, which Newton worked out, you know, force equals mass times acceleration and all that sort of stuff, and Newton makes some other rules too. Uh, equal and opposite reactions and all this sort of business, but everything seems to be following a pattern in this apparently illusion, in this apparent illusion of a universe, and it just starts to feel more real. Um, so all that's happening, and then David Hume comes in with, you know, uh, so, you know, um, Newton and Galileo and Copernicus and all those guys sort of give Descartes a bit of a left hook, you know what I mean? But then David Hume comes in with the right hook, you know. Um, I don't know much about boxing. I don't know if you do a double hook like that. And um, David Hume says, aha, not only um, are these guys like Galileo and all that, uh, well, especially Isaac Newton, making the world look really logical um, and not all that much of an illusion at all. But I I just worked out, just with a thought experiment, Descartes, that you've brought time back into the picture, which brings space back into the picture. And then, at the same time, look at this. Isaac Newton's got all these laws that he's making up that seem to fit, you know. And David Hume say, brings... You know, elevates the universe back to a position where it could be reality afterwards. After all, you know, and um, undoes all Descartes' good work or a lot of Descartes' good work, and suddenly, universe is king again. You know, it exists again. Um, the universe has come back into existence, and you know, like poof, you know, it comes back, pops back into existence. You know what I mean? Um, and this was that era, you know, of science as king, you know, and David Hume was in that era. And David Hume was really smart, you know, and I'm just, I just know these sorts of things because I'm a parrot squawking. I hear these things and I'm squawking them back to you. Uh-huh, see, there's a little clue as to what this podcast is about. Now, um, so um, what I'm saying is that David Hume even took things to another level. He was a real genius as far as i can say if only i was a genius i would know what what sort of genius he was you know but i just have to hear other geniuses say he was a genius and then you know squawk uh, i'll tell you that he's a genius because genius has told me that he's a genius you know blah 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 so david hume even took it to another level apparently and he said do you know all these laws of the universe um you know he said 
Isaac Newton has measured four billion in four billion experiments in a row. He's measured how an apple falls, and every single time it has fallen the same way. He didn't really. I'm making that up. But you know what I'm saying. Um, every time we run this test, um, force equals mass times acceleration, it comes up with the same role, uh, the same result. So he was saying, okay, we can call that reality. Um, I forget what David Hume called it, but he said, we can't actually say that that will happen every single time that you ever make this test. We will just say that the four billion times we've tested it so far, it's worked four billion times. So if we run another test now, the four billion and first time, you know, experiment number four billion and one, are you a betting guy? I think it's going to, um, are you a betting person? Yes. All right. What are you going to put your money on? Ah, it's going to follow the same rule, you know. Um, so uh, he called it something else, but I'll call it the law of typical behaviours. He called it something better than that. Um, customary behaviours, I think, or customariness, you know, custom. The laws of custom, you know. And so it's customary for apples to fall down when they fall off a tree. Because every time it's been observed in all of history, an apple has fallen to the ground and hasn't fallen up to the clouds, you know. So we can safely say that the next time an apple falls off a tree, it will fall off a tree. This is what David Hume was about. And, um, and you know, you can scoff if you want um, and say, what a stupid thing to say. All right, it's a law, you know what I mean? End of story, it's a law. Stop saying this customary. Why are you calling it a customary behaviour, you know? Um, why are you calling it a typical behaviour that every time an apple falls off a tree, it falls down? Um, it's never going to fall up. And, aha, but it's very important to say still that it's a customary behaviour because you never know, you know, something might come along and break the rule. And that did actually happen, you know, um, with Isaac Newton because he made some laws which, you know, if you challenged them back in Newton's time, um, let's say there was social media back in Newton's time, and you said, ah, oh, so, you know, um, speed equals distance over time, you know. Um, that happens all the time, you know. It happens every single time, you know. Um, and then you said, oh, maybe not every time, you know. Maybe one day we'll come up with... A sort of a time when it doesn't happen, everyone would have just gone the big scoff on social media in the 1700s, you know, and said, scoff, 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 outrage, 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 you're being a pain, blah, blah, blah. But it actually did come to pass in, you know, when Einstein came along and he worked out that at, um, there was an edge to the universe, as it were, you know, the universe was finite sort of thing. Um, and that the laws like speed and distance and time, speed equals distance over time and force equals mass times acceleration and mass itself, you know, all these laws did break down at the edges of the universe and at the extremities of, you know, at, at the speed of light, as you approach the speed of light and as you approach absolute zero and as you go back in time and um, approach in a reverse direction, the dawn of time, you know, the what the you know the the theory of the Big Bang, you know, he said uh, Einstein and you know people around him at the time in this 
new era in the modernist period. Aha, we're getting to that. Don't worry about that. We'll get back to modernism. Don't worry about that. Um, that was modernism in science. Um, and suddenly, the rock-solid laws of Newton, which were reality, thou shalt not argue against them, or you're an idiot. Um, this is science. It's written in stone, just like the Ten Commandments were written in stone in another time and place. So they are real. You know, they were real. This is real. End of story. Stop arguing. Don't question things. Aha, but, you know, 100 years, hundred and a bit years later, here comes Einstein and says, aha, there are exceptions. Sometimes the laws of physics, as Newton um, constructed them, do get broken at the edges of the universe. And the edges of the universe being, universe being, you know, backwards in time at the, at the Big Bang or whatever you want to call it. And at the edges of the universe, you know, at, which comprises the speed of light. Once you get to the speed of light, you're getting to an extremity of the universe. You know, you don't have to actually travel to the end of the universe to get to an extremity of the universe. You can get to an extremity of the universe if you go, if you just sit in a room and turn the heater off and a cold day comes along and it gets colder and colder and colder and you get closer to absolute zero, you can, not, you can stay in that room and not leave that room. And as it gets colder and colder and colder in that room, and then, you know, someone puts a bit of nitrogen in there as well to make it even colder, as you get close to absolute zero, you are reaching the, an extremity of the universe just by virtue of getting cold. Okay, so, and... Um, if you build a spacecraft and um, stay in your, in the solar system and just orbit orbit um, uh, the world or orbit Earth, get in a spacecraft and start orbiting Earth and really put some afterburners on that um, uh, spaceship and start going towards you know getting close to the speed of light without even leaving the solar system. In fact. Without even getting far away from Earth, you are getting you are getting close to an extremity of the universe. Not a physical, you know, our heads are socially constructed to think that you get to the edges of the universe if you physically get to the edges of the universe, you know, in space. Um, but you can get to the edges of the universe in different ways, you know, by just going fast or just by getting cold, very, 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 very cold, you know. You are travelling to the edges of the universe just by getting cold, you know, or just by going fast, you know, and all that sort of thing, you know, you know what I'm talking about, or going back in time to the start of the universe. All right, so David Hume, um, he liked to say, listen, stay virtuous, scientists. Don't claim that your precious laws of physics, and I hope David Hume said this, I think he did, don't claim your precious laws of physics are reality. He almost seems to be arguing against himself there, doesn't he? Um, you know, um, remember Descartes proved, you know, in his own mind, in his social construction, that the soul 
existed most certainly and that nothing else did well, could be proved to exist most certainly and here am i and i've kind of kind of proved him wrong already haven't i and it's only a hundred years later so watch yourself scientist um otherwise you are being religious in a way you know you're being superstitious in a way you're being too sure of yourself you've got a big ego um, so don't be too sure of yourself, um, said David Hume. Um, don't be too sure of yourself. Have doubt. Continue to have doubt, you know. Um, so, you you know, you get this argument even these days in the 21st century. Ha ha, God is stupid, you know. Uh, the idea, you, you, are stu you are superstitious to believe in God, you know. You're not superstitious to believe in soul. You can't prove that. But, aha, uh -huh, physics I can prove because watch this. I'm going to hop in my car. I'm going to travel 100 kilometers an hour. I'm going, you know, I'm going to go 100 kilometers at 100 kilometers an hour and guess how long it's going to take. It's going to take me an hour. Ah, see, I just proved speed equals distance over time, you know. And, um, but then, you know, and, and even today people say, see, that's the difference. Science proves things, and, you know, God is made up. But, you know, the soul is made up. It doesn't quite work that way. Science has got doubt around it too, you know. So, um, it gets tricky, you know. Science can quickly turn into religion, and I really think sometimes, you know, uh, these days especially, uh, especially when they're trying to raise some funding, the scientists do sound a little bit, every bit, as bad as you know religious nutters to me sometimes when they make wild claims um and sometimes i do think they're just trying to attract funding you know oh history rewritten we you know we found a tooth from in upper mongolia and we've just reconstructed it and here's you know look here's an artist's impression of what the the human who used to own that tooth looked like and then you got this scale model you know kind of attractive you know and all that sort of stuff <laughs> what <laughs> from a tooth <laughs> um okay so you know scientists can um and my uncle um by marriage but um i say my uncle even if it's by marriage because i'm old school in the sense that if i get married my wife's uncle is my uncle you know he says scientists are devaluing their own currency you know they're not charles darwin anymore and he gets really grumpy about that. He says, oh, my God, stop prove, stop claiming stuff beyond, you know, what what you should be claiming, you know. All right. So um, that was David Hume. So in summary, you know, in the period before David Hume's era, we had Descartes, Descartes, and then we come forward again to David Hume's era. This is well before modernism. Um, in which David Hume completely overturns it. You know, so the soul was king. The soul was reality in Descartes' time. And I'm going to call him Descartes anyway. I don't like Descartes. I still like Wagner, though. And I still like Bach. You know, I don't say, I don't like Bach. You know, and I like Fantasia. But I'm not sure about Fantasia. That uncle I just mentioned, he's Greek. And... He said, yes, it's fantasy, all right. And he's mad, Essendon supporter, much worse than me, I think. Um, 
but I think he says Fantasia, but he said, but it is fantasy. He says a Greek word, you know, and the Greeks have obviously linked that to the Romans, uh, to the Italian, you know, to Latin. And uh, a lot of Greek words have gone into Latin, you know, because Latin didn't have words for philosophy, you know. So they had to use the Greek one, I presume. Greeks came up with a lot of ideas that other people, other languages, other cultures, Greeks came up with a lot of ideas that other cultures didn't even think of. So there was no translation, you know. You go to any other country in the world and on any of the continents, you know. Go to my ancestors, the barbarians, or go down to Africa, you know, the barbarians up north, you know. Um, the Celts and the, you know, Germans, you know, they're my ancestors. And they didn't have a word for philosophy because, you know, the Greek-style philosophy because they didn't have the, the, the whole, all that idea, you know, all that logic stuff hadn't even occurred to them. So they didn't have a word for it, of course. And anyway, um, no matter where you went, you know, same thing. All right, so fantasy, uh, you know, um, he said, yes, it is fantasy, but I call it fantasia, you know. Um, so... David Hume um, brought the universe back. Poof, like I said before. <laughs> I just wanted to say that. Now, um, now go forward a little bit. We want to get back to modernism again because that's what this podcast is about, social construction, you know, the whole idea of social construction. So what we're doing is we're going on a big journey. Started off at modernism, go back to classical, and then forward back to modernism again. So it's pretty simple, really, you know. And stop the press. I'll just stop that abruptly, that thought that I was just having. Because you know where it was going. I was heading back to the early 20th century. And I was going to finish off, you know, if any of my hints were any guide, with the idea that... In the early early twentieth century, we moved into we moved into a period called modernism. You know that we now call modernism. Not that modern, is it? It's over a hundred years ago. But anyway, um, that's where I was heading back to. You know, I started with um, the idea of you know modernism, social construction, a part of that, and then I went backwards through romanticism and back before that to you know, what in music was the classical period. Um, and then I sort of hinted at the ancient classical period, you know, the Greeks. Um, and then I came forward again, and I was coming forward through Descartes, you know, I think he might have been Renaissance time or a bit after. And then I came forward to the Enlightenment again, you know, and I mentioned David Hume. There are others I could have mentioned, Immanuel Kant. And I was coming forward and I was coming forward and I was going to end up back at the early, in the early 20th century in a period that we call modernism. And when I got there, I was going to say, and I'm going to say right now, that people in that period we call modernism uh, began to, you know, said, said, I think we might all be socially constructed. And even these ideas we're having, you know, these... Um, these light bulbs going off in our head. They're only going off in our head, you know, these little steps in philosophy, for example. You know, there's other things besides philosophy, for goodness sake. But um, these little steps that we're having, um, the, these light bulbs going off in our heads, they started to saying, those light bulbs are not going off in our heads. 
in a vacuum. They are, you know, it's not the universe speaking to us, you know, and us suddenly, you know, hey, um, in some sort of indifferent and independent way, um, enlightening ourselves in a bubble, in a vacuum, sorry. So what they were saying, these social constructionists, um, was that these light bulbs are going off within a very limited framework. Um, people who think they these light bulbs are going off in the minds of people who themselves are heavily socially constructed. So their, their perspectives are limited. Now, geniuses, no doubt, all of them, not me, them, geniuses, all of the guys that I've mentioned. They're all males here, but there are females. There's, I got um, very interested in um, Mary Wollstonecraft, Wollstonecraft, I hope I say her name right. There, you know, Mary Wollstonecraft was amazing, you know. She was in the Enlightenment period too, around about these times of David Hume and all that sort of thing. And she noticed um, that the English people around her were uh, inventing, let's say, ideas uh, of greater liberty, you know, and you know, um, within their social construction, not prompted by external forces, as far as I can tell, um, the English, for example, seem to have, you know, um, and this is um, 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 Wilberforce, uh, who in turn was prompted by a few others around him, I think, in the, you know, in the Protestant side of things, um, that racism should be abolished. Ah, racism. Um, it's early morning, by the way, now. Um, that slavery... Racism was still great, don't worry about that. Uh, but slavery should be abolished. And, you know, this was massive, you know. Every sort of... Uh, what we call civilised culture. Now, by civilised here, I mean, in you know, the Greeks kind of invented that word, so um, you can twist the word to say, oh, it means something other than what the Greeks meant it to mean. Uh, but you can't really do that, can you? Because they made up the word, so they've got the right to say what it means. <laughs> and it means, you know, a, a, a social structure arising out of a city-state, you know, and that sort of thing, you know. So civilization means, you know, roads and sanitation and all that sort of thing, if you like. All right. So, um, uh, in the first time in civilization, essentially, pretty much, it had occurred to one of those civilizations, England, that, hey, we've just put two and two together on our own thinking, in our own social construction. We've just put two and two together and reached into our own culture, um, and in, in the case of the English, you know, that was kind of the culture of, you know, what uh, Jesus was telling them and what the Greeks had told them and all that sort of thing, you know, all that fed into their culture, the English, you know. And they said, we've reached into that our, our own culture. They thought they were reaching into their own minds, but they were reaching into their own culture, their own social construction, quite likely. And we think slavery should be abolished. Uh, because that's the only logical conclusion that we can draw from a um, a meditation upon all the things that have 
you know, that we're reading, you know, that Plato and all these people, even, even though they love slavery, all those people, but we're, the, the conclusion we're drawing is we should abolish it. And, you know, this is a light bulb going off within a social construction. You know what I mean? All right. Um, and then, um, and I mentioned Mary Wollstonecraft, you know, because most of the philosophers you read, especially, and all, most of the, because they, they're the people who had voices, so they're the only ones we know. They're the only ones we're listening to most of the time. Um, Mary Wollstonecraft said, um, all you geniuses, yes. I do grant you are geniuses, I think she was saying. You are geniuses, don't worry. You have moved us forward. You are, you know, you are amongst the stepping stones uh, that are bringing us forward. But have you noticed that there's another class of people besides slaves? There's a class of people called women. <laughs> and um, I think a few men would have said, oh, oh yeah. <laughs> and if they didn't say it then, they're saying it now, you know, and slowly it started to dawn on people. But, you know, you can go back in time and, uh, you know, like a modern person who is not a genius, but is, you know, let's say active on social media and really a great activist. I love activists and I'm one of them myself. No, I'm not, but, you know. Um, imagine if you're an activist and... You go back and um, you meet one of these geniuses who were bringing us forward to where we are now, and you say, and and and, and the person who goes back in time is not a genius, you know. That person has um, is all has been told everything that person knows, you know. And the person goes back and says, "Ha ha! You don't even know about feminism. I am smarter than you." No, no, you're not smarter than them. Uh, because they they are the ones changing the world, where you're just parroting the world. You know, you you you've heard all this stuff, which has actually come. Most of it's come from a hundred years ago. You know, you you know, you're like me. I'm one of those parrots. You know, and you're just parroting stuff you've heard, but it feels like it came from your own head. That it's self-evident. That it's you know that it just makes sense. Then. And that no matter what time you were born in, you would have been thinking these thoughts. You know, you would have been a feminist no matter what period you were growing up, you, you found yourself in, you know. Um, no, probably not, you know what I mean? Because you're not... You know, well, you might be a genius, the person I'm listening... You, you who is listening to this podcast, you may well be a genius. I'm not, right? Um, and uh, you may have gone back in time and been better than Mary Wollstonecraft even, you know. And great, you know. Uh, so, um, please come around to my place and explain what all this means, you know, because you're a genius and I'm not, you know. All right, but what I'm getting at with all of this stuff is that the early, early 20th century seems to be telling me that I'm socially constructed. Now, that's not necessarily a bad thing, you know. I think that social construction is a dirty word, you know, these days sometimes may be. And people say, oh, you're socially constructed, you know, and that's why you've got all these biases, you know. But then, the people who are telling me that, they're all socially constructed too. So it gets a little bit tricky, you know. Um, and it gets very, very tricky. Uh, because, and this uh, pushes us into postmodernism. 
Aha, there's something for another episode down the track. But there came some people after the modernists had this light bulb going off in their heads. Um, there came some people who said, Aha, but the very idea of social construction you came up with, that light bulb went off within a social construction. So you've invented the idea of social construction within your social construction. You've outwitted yourself. And all that spawned, you know, postmodernism. And there are other angles to modernism and postmodernism, of course. But the point is, you know, it gets more and more interesting, you know. And the idea, I think, for me, because I'm not a genius, is not to get too worried about the details of that. And I don't try to understand it completely, you know. I like to just get a bit of a broad brush going on it, and that's enough, because I've got other things to think about too, you know, like penguins and Captain Cook. But, um... But it's it's good to know, you know, I like to know just broadly these ideas, what they're driving at, you know. And without further ado, but probably with a little bit of extra ado, uh, I'm going to um, hint at what this whole podcast is about, which on the surface is about a parrot squawking. Clearly I'm squawking like a parrot, you know. Um, but what it's about is this. In all that sort of, that whole hour and a bit, which is what it's been, I have, um, I've only really been talking about a very short, short, short period in history from around about the late 1700s when, oh, what a coincidence, Australia commenced. Uh, now, what I mean by Australia, I mean the idea of the social club that we call Australia. I'm going to make a very strong distinction about that in another episode. But, you know, when um, we've got this national anthem, which I can't stand, you know, and it, it says, for we are young and free. And, you know, there's people that say, you know, indigenous people here in Australia, of course, you know, ancient culture. And also um, fellow Westerners um, who say, we're not young and free. Um, you know, we've got an ancient, you know, it goes back, you know, the indigenous people, you know, ancient, goes back 40,000 years. And even us, we Westerners, you know, when we landed here, we went back 40,000 years. No, we went back 4 billion years, you know. Ancient, ancient cultures, you know, the indigenous people, ancient culture, you know, the English people, the day they arrived here, ancient culture, all the things I've been talking about feed into the um, culture of the early Australians on day one, on that first fleet, all those people in their heads, they had social constructions that were ancient, so they started off being ancient from day one. Okay, so I only scratched the surface, you know, I've only talked about um, from Descartes, you know, Descartes and David Hume up to, you know, the post, uh, up to the modernists in the earliest 20th century and maybe had a mention of Isaac Newton and Einstein. This is a tiny little blip in, um, you know, the, uh, my culture, what you might call it. And the indigenous people have got the same thing. They've got a culture that goes back 40,000 years. And we're, and that culture is just starting to dawn on us, you know, what that one's all about. And I'll get to that in another episode too. So we are ancient cultures. We are two ancient cultures that have come together. The British, let's say, 
and all that, you know, what all that meant, which included the Irish when my, because I'm mostly Irish, you know, but, um, but, um, what you had is two ancient cultures meeting with so much culture. And, um, and, you know, I could have picked another period and spoken just as much on, let's say, the Christian era, you know, the Dark Ages and all that, and the Middle Ages and all that sort of thing, which, you know, were, oh, yeah, you know, brutal and bloody. But, you know, they had um, huge um, steps forward in all that time, stepping stones to where we are now that had never been done before. Um, you know, there's people like Thomas Aquinas and going back even further to what's-his-name who wrote City of God. Um, is that Ambrose? Um you know, if I ever get things wrong, it doesn't matter. I'm not about being precise here. I'm just giving broad brushes, as I said. Now, now that whole era, you know, and the Magna Carta popped out. You know, that's part of my culture. You know, that goes back a long time. Um, you know, if if someone says, what what does it mean to be an Australian? Well, you know, tell me about your culture. Well, there was the Magna Carta. Oh, no, that was before Australia. No, no, no. You know, we landed in the with the first fleet. When the first fleet landed here, we landed with the Magna Carta in our heads. In fact, we had laws. You know, the day we arrived, you know, people were following laws. So, ancient culture. Don't worry about that. Um, and then I could have gone back further. You know, because Greece. Oh my goodness. You know, I could have spoken for sixteen hours, um, waffling. Uh, you know, um, parroting about. Uh, Socrates and you know, and be, even before him, Pythagoras. But coming for Socrates and Plato and Aristotle, and then you know, once Alexander the Great sort of died, and then all the philosophers after that, you know, the Stoics and all that sort of thing, and um, you know, and and all of that culture comes feeding into the heads of the people who were on the first fleet who came to Australia. So, that little sort of decrepit colony that started, you know, in what we in in on this continent where I am. Um, uh, oh, by the way, I'm parked on the back beach of Sorrento as I speak, oh, and it's just beautiful. It's early morning. I started this podcast last night because I got excited about it. Uh, I came down to Sorrento last night, and I've got up early before everyone else got up. And I've come down the back beach just to look at the ocean. And then I'm going to get into town and get some um, food. But, uh, you know, this is what a beautiful country this is. Um, sandstone cliffs to my right and the ocean out there, you know. And um, it just looks fantastic. And, um, and it's early morning. You can guess the rest. It's just sublime. <laughs> Taking another idea from the 19th century. Right. Now, um, so... All of that, you know, Greece, Rome, the whole idea of Rome, and all the everything that was good and bad about that, and all that feeds into the whole of Europe, you know. But then the northern barbarians, you know, my ancestors, the barbarians have got their own cultures, you know, um, and and they're significant cultures, and they've got things that the Romans haven't got, and all that feeds into you know, what we call the Western Roman Empire. And um, and even more specifically, you know, the Celts and the Barbarians and the Germans and the, uh, the Germanics and the Norse up north, you know. 
and all that sort of stuff. And then the Norse feed into the Normans, and the Normans come across to England, and all that, my goodness, and all that goes into the heads of all the people who were on the first fleet, and they land here, and they land here as an ancient culture with massive things in their heads. And then the stepping stones continue, and they keep thinking, you know, and, um, and then... Um, we eventually, you know, not that long later, you know, we come up with this idea. Let's have a little microcosm of England here in Australia, a social club we'll call Australia, you know, which is defined in the Constitution, which is a social club. Um, and meanwhile, parallel to that, you've got the indigenous nations, you know, the indigenous cultures, and they've got their clubs too. So they're all these clubs, you know. And um, one of the clubs, you know, the Australia Club, the Australia Club, as I like to call it, as defined in the Constitution, yeah, um, gets all greedy, of course. Of course gets all greedy. We wouldn't be Western if we didn't get greedy. And says, you know, um, this social club owns all this land. <laughs> yeah, well. But the point is, it is still a social club that did start in 1900 and won. Um... So it is still a social club. So that social club is young, right? And it's drawing on Greek um, origins, and which is, you know, embodied in what's called the liberal arts and all that sort of thing, which I'll talk about another time. But it's a certain type of freedom, you know, uh, as defined by that. In the ancient Greek times, it wasn't freedom for the slaves. It was a certain type of freedom. It's a freedom of the mind, you know. And I'm socially constructed... In, into and enjoying that as well in my head. Now, um, so what happens is a social construct, uh, a social club is created, which is happens to be a political club too, and an economic club, and all that sort of thing, um, and a cultural club. Um, and the people who invent that club call it Australia, and that club. You know, that nation-state of Australia is young and free. Which is a very tricky thing for a lot of people to get at because there were also indigenous clubs at the same time in parallel who weren't in that club Australia who were also free and ancient and free but this club, Australia, was young and free in terms of, you know, the declaration of that social club. But they were ancient and free as well in terms of the definition of the Greek idea of free. But they were ancient and trapped as well um, under other definitions of freedom because they were trapped in their social construction to such an extent that they looked at the indigenous people and uh, the early anthropologists on the western side said those people have got no religion because they couldn't see it. It wasn't because the indigenous people didn't have a religion. It's just because they didn't see it. They couldn't see it because they were trapped in their social construction. So you have to, you know, and there's a huge fiery debate going on at the moment, you know. The words of that song, We Are Young and Free... The words of that song are stupid. No, they're not stupid. They're not referring to what you think they're referring to. You know, they're referring to the nation state. And of course, stupid people within where the West pick up on 
uh, those words and say, aha, that applies to the continent of Australia. You know, it's young and free. Even these rocks that I'm looking at, I'm looking out at these rocks in Sorrento, you know, uh, this great big rock jutting out there in the middle of the, um, what is this? this, this little bay here that I'm looking at. Um, and there's a big rock there that's clearly been sitting there for millions of years, you know. Um, that's not young and free. No, that's not what the song's talking about, you know. I'm not on social media, so I wouldn't bother. Even if I was, I wouldn't bother trying to run this line because um, uh, immediately people can't do this sort of monolectic, I like to call it, what I'm doing now. It's like a dialectic, uh, the way I'm speaking on this. Uh, my goddaughter and I engage in a dialectic. You know, that's our thing. We've been speaking every day for years. But I'm doing a version of that right now as a monolectic. I don't even know that's a, if that's a word, but it's a word now. And... Um, you can't have that sort of monolectic or dialectic in public discourse these days, and perhaps in other times you couldn't either, uh, because the instant you try and say anything like any of the things I'm saying right now in this podcast, uh, somebody is definitely going to um, uh, start calling you names. You know, they'll start defining you. you know, they might decide, define, you know, am I coming... Well, you have a think about it yourself. Everything you've heard now, am I coming at this from a conservative um, um, perspective? Or am I coming at it from a progressive perspective? I seriously hope you can't even detect which. You know? And, uh, um, because I can't detect which. So if you can detect which, you're a smarter man than me. Or you're a smarter woman than me. You know, me being a woman and all that sort of thing. So, um... So what I'm getting at is this discussion that I'm having now with myself, this monolectic, this monologue, um, can't be had in public discourse because I would have been interrupted by now. I love podcasts. And I love sitting here in the back beach of Sorrento by myself, looking out in the ocean early in the morning before the sun's come up because I can't be interrupted here. It's great. Okay. Now, all of that is to say that even everything I've said now um, is all in my head because I am of an ancient, ancient culture, which presents in my head as an a social construction that is infinitely deep and complex and profound and sublime and everything you want to call it. And meanwhile, you know... There might be an indigenous bloke just over the uh, on the other side of the sandstone, stand, the, the sandstone, <laughs> the sandstone cliffs here. I haven't had much sleep, so um, the sandstone cliffs here, and you know he might be staring out at the ocean from Portsy there, and he might be thinking the same thing, looking out at the ocean. My goodness, I'm from an ancient culture, and you know he and I, you know we're both here. Both just two blokes. Maybe we're two women. Um, and we're both sitting here and we're both, you know, two ancient cultures that have come together separated only by a sandstone cliff. How about that? All right. Now, um, so I may be socially constructed. But then I mentioned, you know, there's a postmodernist thought that, aha, uh -huh, you're only, you. the idea of social construction might be a little bit 
um, tainted and flawed and not that um, independent because it's been created within a social construction. You know, and then I say, ha, your postmodernist uh, anti-social constructionist thought there might be socially constructed as well, and on and on it goes. You know, and it's been going on and on and on since then, and now you have people. Uh, sort of yelling at each other on social media, you damned progressive, you know, you damned conservative, but both of those parties on social media, let's say, as far as I can tell, they're both socially constructed, both squawking like parrots, and both thinking that, you know, they are the... Uh, they are fonts of wisdom, wisdom that has come out of their own heads through their own genius, perhaps, depending on the person. And both of them squawking like parrots like that, uh, as I am right now, squawking like a parrot, are both um, saying, the things I know. I sat under a tree like Buddha and these things came to me. Um, I... Oh, the sun has just come. Just right then as I, was, as I was speaking, the sun just broke over the cliff behind me. It's really beautiful here. And the waves are crashing into the rocks down there and spraying up very, very high. Um, I'm kind of giving you the picture here. And now the sun is starting to make the whites of the waves, the seahorses, um, as... Um, and, uh, uh, the seahorses, they look like. Um, uh, an Irishman told me that um, that's the way he looked at it. Um, the waves also look like the Greek flag, you know. On and on and on it goes. Um, so, um, yeah, so those two people arguing about who's right, you know. They're both arguing two different perspectives that have been put into their heads by these philosophers hundred years ago, and other thinkers, political thinkers, artists, you know, um, people with logic, um, religious people, you know, people discount the religious people, but my goodness, a lot of that has fed into the Enlightenment on our side of things, and on the indigenous side of things, religious ideas, as you might call them, um, you know, define, make your own definition, or don't get caught up in definitions. Um, you know, they're heavily socially constructed. You know, we're all free. We're all ancient and free. We're all ancient and trapped. We're all young and free. And we're all young and trapped, you know. You can look at these things in all sorts of different ways. But um, all I'm saying is, to a very large extent, and this is what this podcast is going to be about, two people arguing seemingly from their own, you know, um, reserve of wisdom, let's say on social media, both of them, you know, on the, let's say, a conservative side and a progressive side, and let's throw a socialist in there too, and a few others as well. Um, they're all, they've all thought deeply about where they're coming from, and, you know, and as far as they can tell, some of them, you know, some of them know about all the, where, where they get, all their ideas from. They know about the history, but some don't know about the history, and they're just squawking like parrots, um, but not knowing where the squawking, you know, where where they got that squawk from. And they got their squawk from all this stuff, you know. They're socially constructed 
from when they were babies, you know, it's been fed into their minds, everything their mother told them, the little, you know, the little lessons, you know, um, sit up straight, you know, um, you know, and, um, don't be nasty to your sister, all that sort of stuff, all social construction, all feeding into, you know, their values and all that sort of stuff. They're heavily social, socially constructed. Um, and now they're arguing two different points of view from, you know, two different ideas from their social construction. And there's, you know, they're having an argument that maybe two philosophers had um, 150 years ago, but the philosophers did it, had the argument maybe in a more dialectic fashion. And these probably lesser geniuses um, are now having the same argument that was had, you know, 200 years ago, or maybe even 2,000, sort of 300 years ago, an argument between Plato and Aristotle. Um, but these people are having the argument and they're white hot with fury and they're having the argument in a way that's nowhere near as sophisticated as the way the people in the past had it. Um, they're just shouting at each other, essentially. Yeah, and calling each other's names, you know, you're a fascist, you're a Nazi, you're a commie, you know, and all this sort of stuff, you know. Um, okay, but here's where, and I honestly think, um, you know, where, um, and I hope I'm coming across this way, um, that I think I'm squawking like a parrot too. There's my introduction. The podcast you just heard was made using Anchor. Ever thought about making your own podcast? Anchor makes it really easy for anyone to get started. It's a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing podcasts. Best of all, it's 100% free. Sign up now at anchor.fm slash new. That's anchor.fm slash new to get started.